this clip, Indiana Jones is on a quest for the Holy Grail. And as he is on his quest, he comes across the seemingly insurmountable obstacle, a chasm that has no apparent way across. And Indy stares in consternation. He's a little worried about his situation. And then he decides to step out in faith, hoping the instructions that he has will not lead him astray. Now, Indiana Jones is hardly the only person to have ever taken a leap of faith amidst a troubling circumstance. Many of us have taken leaps of faith in our lives. Leaps of faith about our finances or our jobs, about our families or our marriages, about our hopes and dreams, or about our relationship with God. Like Indy, we stare at the problem, maybe sweating a bit, trying to figure out what to do. And then we make our leaps of faith, hoping that things work out. This morning, we're going to talk about faith, the faith that a man named Paul talked about in a letter to the ancient church of Rome. As many of you know, Paul was a first-century follower of Jesus who spread the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection throughout the Roman Empire. Here at Rooftop, we're in the midst of a series on one of Paul's letters, his letter to the Romans. And in this letter, Paul talks about the ultimate kind of faith, faith in Jesus Christ as the King and Savior of a sin-filled world. Now, in our current series, we're looking at Romans chapters 9 through 11. We've been reading some difficult material for the past several weeks. And fortunately for the new guy, our passage this morning is a little different. We're looking at Romans 9, 30 to 33, which marks a little bit of a change in direction. As Paul puts down the language of predestination that idea that God has divinely decided all that, has, that will happen before it occurs. Paul puts down predestination, and he picks up the language of faith. And as Paul talks about faith, he has two main characters, Israel and the Gentiles. Israel was God's chosen people, whose story was told in the Old Testament. And the Gentiles were the nations, Everyone else, anyone who was not Israel, the vast majority of the people in the world, and the vast majority of people in this room. And at the heart of our passage this morning is Paul's argument that Israel has failed to believe in Jesus because they sought to earn by works that which only comes by faith. So follow along with me as I read our passage for today, Romans 9, 30 through 33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
before we look at what this means, please join me in praying. Spirit of truth, fill us as we seek to learn from the scriptures this morning. Calm our hearts and minds and help us to focus on you amidst whatever busyness we come from. May we hear the message that you have for each of us this morning. Amen. It's appropriate that verse 30 begins with this question, what shall we say then? Because on a completely unrelated note, that's the question I have been asking myself this week as I prepared for this message. What am I going to say? After nine chapters of his letter and some really heavy content on predestination, Paul asks this question to refocus his audience, to refocus us on the big question that he has, and that is, why should the church trust God if he has seemingly abandoned Israel? Now, Paul is answering this question throughout much of Romans 9 through 11, and so we're not going to get the full answer to his question this morning. But what Romans 9, 30 through 33 does talk about is what Paul has to say about faith. And Paul's going to talk a whole lot more about faith in Romans chapter 10. And so these verses here at the end of chapter 9 are really transitioning us to this conversation. And as Paul begins talking about faith, he has three big ideas that I want us to look at this morning. And the first big idea is that God works in surprising ways. Look again at verses 30 and 31. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Now, to really understand what Paul is saying here, <clears throat> excuse me, we need to make sense of this word righteousness. Righteousness is one of those terms that theologians and nerds like me really like to argue about and get into the weeds on. But in a general sense, righteousness really just means someone who is morally upright, especially before God. Now, earlier in Romans, Paul has talked about how no one is righteous, no, not one, because of the distorting effects of sin. Paul's audience, however, would have known that throughout the biblical story, God called certain people righteous. Someone like Abraham, for example, is called righteous in the Old Testament. And in these cases, righteousness doesn't just indicate moral uprightness. Rather, the righteous were those who were living in harmonious relationship with God. And that's the kind of righteousness that Paul is talking about here. The Gentiles, who were really good at sinning, by the way, didn't pursue a harmonious relationship with God, but God gave that to them. They found themselves in right relationship with God. And it wasn't because of anything they did. It was because of faith. And at the same time, Paul is saying, Israel pursued a harmonious relationship with God. But in contrast to the Gentiles, they worked towards that righteousness. They sought harmonious relationship based on their own expectations rather than by submitting to God. Now, for those of us sitting here on a Sunday morning in 2018, that information probably doesn't seem all that surprising. I mean, it's too bad for historic Israel that they did all this work and didn't 
end up with righteousness, but it worked out okay for the Gentiles, so maybe that's okay. But in Paul and Jesus' day, that was not the case. Because in the Old Testament, God talks about Israel. God talks, uh, the Old Testament talks about Israel as God's chosen people. And so, in many ways, the Gentiles coming to faith while the Jews rejected God is a great reversal of everything that Paul's audience would have expected. Thus, Paul's message here would have been very surprising to his audience. Have you ever really surprised someone? Like, really surprised someone? So back before Haley and I got married, uh, I had a conversation with my now father-in-law, and he said, uh, before you marry my daughter, you need to make sure that you're able to take care of her. Right? And one of the ways that uh, that was going to happen was I needed to have a co- my college degree. And so he said, all right, we won't get married until I graduate college. It's good advice. No one's allowed to marry Bree until they finish college. <laughs> and so normally that wouldn't have been a problem, Uh, But I studied abroad while I was in college, and there was a big paperwork snafu. And so during my senior year, it turned out that I wasn't sure if I was going to graduate on time. I wasn't sure I had all the credits I needed because my credits from over in Europe weren't really transferring to my college very well. And so I confided in Haley, and I said, look, uh, I I really hope that these credits come through. I really want to graduate this spring, uh, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. And because I'm not sure it's going to happen, you shouldn't expect any sort of proposal until this spring sometime, until I'm relatively confident of the time that I'm going to graduate. And so as the, as the school year went on, by the grace of God, the credits transferred through, and I was all set to graduate, but I didn't tell Haley. I said, oh, I can surprise her. And so I planned a surprise proposal. Now, something you need to know about Haley and I is that we grew up on farms, and so animals are very important to us. Barns, we have lots of good memories in barns and around animals and things like that. So I planned a proposal for in my parents' barn. It's a little different, so am I. That's what it is. (laughs) And so the day came. Haley and I had been out with friends. We came home. I said, hey, come feed the goats with me. I had put a letter in the barn, and it said, you know, Haley, will you marry me? It was very romantic, right? And uh, in the barn, and I got down on my knee and said, Haley, will you marry me? And then nothing. Just kind of like awkward silence. For what felt like hours, I tell you. And um, I, got, I started getting worried. I'm like, Does she, what's, what's going on? Is she not going to say Yes. And uh, so I asked her again. I said, Haley, will you marry me? (laughs) And she said yes, thankfully. Um, But if you ask Haley about our proposal, to this day, she will tell you she was really surprised. She didn't answer me because she didn't know what was going on. I had totally reversed the script on her. She was expecting one thing and got something else. And that is exactly the type of surprise that Paul's audience would have when they heard this. 
the Gentiles have received something that was supposed to be for Israel. And the response is stunned silence. No one knows what to do with this. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, all right, that's all fine and good. I don't know what that has to do with me. But one answer to the question of what this means for us today is the idea that God works in surprising ways, even when it comes to something as important as our faith in him. So often when we expect one thing, God does something different, something that was unexpected. When we're headed in, uh, in one direction, God surprises us and tells us, oh, maybe this is what you need to do. If you had asked me five years ago if I would be here preaching in front of you this morning, I would have laughed in your face and said, no, I'm going to be a college professor. But that's not what God had in store. Now, I don't mean to make this sound easy. It's not. Not every surprise is a good surprise. It's hard to trust God when you can't see where your next step is going to be. And it's not easy to follow God when his way seems uncomfortable or maybe even dangerous. But the hope is that knowing that God works in surprising ways can strengthen our faith just that little bit that we need to take our next step. And sometimes we actually need to look backwards to see what God has already done, what God has already led us through in order to see this. Haley and I have been on a tumultuous journey the past several years. Ask us about it sometime. We'd love to explain that in detail to you. And we're certain that more challenging times lay in the future. But when we're daunted by what's coming next, we draw great comfort by recalling how God has led us in the past. Our faiths are strengthened and confirmed by God's surprising work. Paul's second big idea from this passage is that righteousness comes through faith. Look with me at the beginning of verse 32. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Why have these surprising events occurred, Paul wonders? Well, because Israel has chased after harmonious relationship with God by works rather than faith. Now, contrasting faith and works has a long and complicated history in Christianity. There have literally been wars fought over the roles of works and faith in Christianity and how that interacts. For some Christians, uh, what the letter to James says is very important. Faith without works is dead. And so if you don't have good works that you're doing, if you're not behaving in a particular way, you might not really be a follower of Jesus. For other folks, they will look at places like Romans 9.32 and place the emphasis on faith. As long as you believe the right thing, as long as you believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter how few works you do, it's faith that matters. Now, a full discussion of these viewpoints would really take us beyond the time that we have for today. And so I want to humbly offer you an interpretation of this verse that emphasizes both faith and works. So note carefully what Paul says in this verse. He says that Israel has pursued righteousness 
remember, harmonious relationship with God. They have pursued righteousness as if it were based on works. That is, they tried to take possession of the free gift of God by their own determination and will. It's like when my daughter Bree wants some chocolate. Now, we keep our chocolate in the refrigerator in the Prowler household, uh, but Bree's a smart kid, and so she's picked up on that. But Bree, you saw Bree, she's pretty small still, so there's no way she can get the chocolate by herself. There's, she can't open the refrigerator door, she can't get the chocolate off the shelf. Bree has to rely on the gracious gift of her parents in order to get her chocolate for dessert. Now, of course, Bree knows this. She knows that her parents are the ones who give her chocolate, but that doesn't stop her from going into the kitchen and pulling on the refrigerator door and bellowing, chocolate. Historic Israel is a bit like Bree. They wanted something, and they worked as hard as they could to get that righteousness out of God's fridge, but they couldn't get it. Now, I'm fairly new to parenting, but one thing I have learned is that you cannot just give your kids whatever they want whenever they want it. Sorry, kids. As parents, we try to give our kids what's best for them. And sometimes that means not giving them the chocolate that they think they need. And Paul is saying that one of the reasons that Israel didn't obtain righteousness is because they thought they could get it by working hard. They thought they could go into God's kitchen, open up the refrigerator, and get the chocolate on their own instead of trusting that God would provide the chocolate for them when it was best for them. The other thing we need to note about verse 32 is what it doesn't say. In this verse, Paul is not saying that the law is a problem. Remember, in Romans 7.12, Paul actually says that the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. So Paul isn't setting up a dichotomy between faith and works here, as if faith is good and works is bad. Rather, he's saying that the human pursuit of being in harmonious relationship with God cannot be accomplished by relying on the fulfillment of a legal code. That is, Paul is faulting Israel for the way and the manner in which they approach the law, for trying to use the law to earn their salvation. But Paul is not faulting Israel for doing good works. During the Protestant Reformation that took place in Europe 500 years ago, there was a great debate about faith and works. And on one side was the Roman Church, which affirmed the value of good works as a means of affirming what's known as divine merit. And the thought was, if you get enough divine merit by doing good works, you can stand before God in heaven. And on the other side were the reformers, and the reformers were trying to free people from what they understood as the tyranny of trying to earn your way uh, into heaven, earn your salvation. And as these debates went on, uh, a friend of Martin Luther's, a guy named Philip Melanchthon, uh, had the following to say. He said that faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. And I think this is a really great way to make sense of what Paul is saying in this passage. Israel shows us the futility of acting as if our good works are going to save us. The truth is that our own efforts 
cannot save us from the power of sin and death. Yet at the same time, those of us who are in relationship with Jesus should recognize that faith empowers us to love and serve others through good works. When we have faith, it should never be alone. And so the application here is twofold. In the first place, we all need to be honest with ourselves about our relationship with God. Are you trying to live like Brie and get your chocolate? Are you convinced that your own efforts are enough to get you what you want? Or have you placed your trust in the work of Jesus? In the second place, we need to take stock of why it is that we do what we do. Are we doing good works, whether they're here at Rooftop or maybe through our job or just in our community in general? Are we doing good works out of a genuine desire to love others and show them how God has loved us? Or are we serving out of a sense of obligation, as if we can earn our way into God's good graces? Now, the idea that our harmonious relationship with God depends not on our work, but ultimately on the work of Christ, is a hard concept to really grasp. Many of us work in meritocracies, where we are rewarded for doing good, we're promoted for being good at what we do, and we are uh, passed over for promotions, or maybe even fired for doing bad work. We're self-made Americans, by golly, and we've pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And while that might be true of our life situations, that's not the message that Paul has for us when it comes to our relationship with God. And it's because of our independence that we are prone to miss the third lesson that Paul has for us today, that not everyone has faith. Look at the end of verse 32 and verse 33. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The Gentiles have faith, and Israel doesn't, Paul says, because Israel has tripped over Christ, the stumbling stone in Zion. And Zion is just another name for the city of Jerusalem here. So put another way, Israel just doesn't have faith in Christ. Now, the stumbling stone is one of the more unique images used to describe Jesus in the Bible. And to be honest, it's an image that I struggle with a little bit because I like Jesus and I want other people to like Jesus. Uh, it's like your hipster friend who's got that coffee shop he really likes, right? He's there all the time. He tweets about it. He invites you to go there. He's got the t-shirt, the bumper sticker, right? As Christians, we should be eager and excited to share Jesus with the people that we meet. But then we see what Paul says here. Not everyone has faith. Israel didn't have faith in the first century, and many people today don't either. The truth is that people are often resistant to the truth if it's something they don't like. And while people might like Jesus as an idea, they're less excited about the unpopular or difficult things that he has to say. Things like, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Or, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
or I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Just like Israel in Paul's day, many people today are going to stumble over the stumbling stone that is Christ because faith in him requires that we lay down our ideas of self-righteousness and humbly accept his way. Several years ago, a friend of mine decided that he could no longer call himself a Christian. Uh, He had been raised in the church. He was actually the son of one of the elders of the church that we went to at the time. Uh, And he very humbly and respectfully uh, came before a group of people, and he said, I'm really struggling. I'm struggling with the Bible. I'm struggling with Christianity. I just don't know that I can do this, this Christianity thing anymore. And I remember talking to him one time, and he said to me, uh, Jacob, I just don't know if God has given me faith. And this is one of the verses he looked at as he was talking about that. Now, my friend did a lot of work. He put in a lot of time. He put in a lot of study. He asked really tough questions. He worked really hard to find answers that made sense to him. He met with a group of people who talked with him for, the, for several years about the questions that he was facing. And through much prayer and study, this friend has come back into a relationship with Jesus, and he now helps other people who are stumbling. But for years, for years, this friend stumbled over the stumbling stone. He just wasn't sure about faith in Christ. Now, many of us know people like my friend, people who are stumbling. And for some of us in this room, we are stumbling. We have a question, or we are struggling with some aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And as people are in this situation, it's natural for us to want to reach out and help. And I firmly believe that people who have questions, so all of us, we all are on our own particular faith journey. And so there are going to be different things that each of us need. But even though everyone's journey is, in, is unique, I still think there are some general things that we can all do in a situation where someone is stumbling. First, we can simply recognize that people stumble. We all struggle at times. It might be with a different issue. My issue is, might not be the issue that you struggle with. But we each have questions, and we each have things that can cause our faith to waver. And simply knowing this is the first step to really helping. Second, we can encourage people on their journey. There's nothing inherently wrong with stumbling. In fact, later in Romans, Paul is going to say that even Israel is stumbling for a time. It's not forever. And so as people are stumbling, we should come alongside them and encourage them and help them. We should help them to fight the good fight. And many times, this, is a, this can be as simple as asking someone how they're doing or offering them a word of encouragement or offering to pray for them. And third, we can offer to help in whatever ways we know how. Maybe grab coffee with, this, with your friend. Maybe point them to a resource about their question. Consider connecting them to other people who can help them. Now, remember, people learn and process information differently 
Not everyone wants to read 20 books on a subject like Pastor Matt and I do. But try to help those who are stumbling in whatever ways you know how. In Romans 9, 30 to 33, Paul highlights the importance of faith in Christ by continuing the conversation about Israel and the Gentiles. And as we consider our own journeys of faith this morning, we've talked about three insights from this passage. First, that God works in surprising ways, even when it comes to something as important as faith in him. And as you reflect on this, I encourage you, consider where God may be doing a surprising work in your life. Trust that God will be there for you when, like Indiana Jones, you take the leap of faith in whatever way God is challenging you. Second, we learned that righteousness comes through faith. Christ's death and resurrection have made it possible to come into harmonious relationship with God, not because of anything we have done, but because of the gift of faith. Do you need to respond to that gift this morning? Or perhaps you need to stop trying to earn God's favor and instead simply begin serving him in love. And finally, we saw that not everyone has faith. The gospel message is not easy. It makes us focus on Christ and not on ourselves. When those we know are facing a stumbling stone, we should be ready to encourage them as they make sense of whatever issue they happen to be struggling with. May God give us all the strength to make our leaps of faith without stumbling. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your church and for the blessing of gathering together this morning to study your word. Father, you know where each of us is this morning. You know uh, where we are in our relationship with you. You know what's going on in our lives. You know where we need to step out in faith. And Lord, you tell us in your word that you work in surprising ways. Ways that we can't anticipate or expect. And Father, as you give us, as you offer to all of us your gift of faith, help us to respond this morning in the way that we need to. Whether it is accepting you or simply reaching out in faith for what is going on in our lives. Father, so many of us struggle. We have questions. We have questions without answers. We know people who are struggling with faith in you. Family, friends, co-workers. Father, empower us and equip us as we go out from this place to share your good news, the good news that Christ invites all into faith with those in our lives. And we ask all this in Christ's name.